Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here. This is episode 81. I'm recording this on the 18th of December, 2023. This is going to post up on the 19th at 7.30. This is Loyalty Oaths. This episode is about Loyalty Oaths. And we started out with uh, Bob Marley. Bob Marley, Rat Race. I just have to ask, Ellie, do you know Bob Marley? That's good. Elliot's shaking his head. He's very young. I'm glad to know that Bob Marley has made it through to yet another generation. You know, there's people in my generation never listening to any Bob Marley, and uh, that's too bad. They're missing something. There's images of the uh, military-industrial complex and all of its glory. Uh, you know, you got the horse race. You got the rat race. And then you got the human race. And the human race has been captured by a, a formation of thought, a scientific organization of our culture. And the flower of that scientific organization is the ability to kill and the alleged ability to heal. And that's always been what human culture has been about, the ability to heal and heal. It's really the same energy. It's the intent of the operator. And we're living in this world now where um, we're living in a military dictatorship, kind of in a way worldwide, which we're going to talk about today when we get to loyalty oaths. I want to thank Free People Radio 
truth-seeking media, Free People Radio. We're always going to talk about precinct strategy, because for those of you in this audience that want to get off the couch and actually do something about this, all you got to do is go to danschultzesprecinctstrategy.com and take a look about how to get involved in politics in your state. And of course, precinct strategy is coming up at this from a Republican Party perspective. And as I get farther and farther into this, and I realize there's just one party, it's a uni party. And we, the American citizens, are standing in, in protest and in contradiction to this one party. Really, you know, I could go into the Democrat Party just as easy as the Republican Party because it's one party. And change the party through my personal participation by fulfilling my civic responsibility. And that's a big part of this podcast. As you know, if you've been watching it, I try to be a cheerleader for participation. Because if we don't participate, governance is going to be prosecuted by those who show up. And the people that are showing up suck. They just do. They're terrible. Horrifying. They have no sacred honor. They're not honest with themselves, let alone being honest with you and me. So we, the American citizens, that are concerned for the well-being of our families, of our children, of my young producer, I'm concerned for his well-being. He's sitting there, he's relaxing in the morning. I want him to be good. See, he can be relaxed. He's too young to have the kind of a baseline anxiety that I'm carrying because I know what's going on. See, he doesn't know, but I know that in Europe, many of the NATO countries are now mobilizing for war against Russia. They're mobilizing. They're denying it, but there's a mobilization order that you can go find for yourself if you look for it. You don't have to take it from Professor Penn. And <clears throat> what's the news of the day? What's really the big news of the week? And there's so much news. So much news, a cacophony of opinions and news. But I'll tell you what I think was important in the last few days. Our Congress, those are the elected representatives of we the people. The elected representatives, the people that we send to do our business, they passed an $886 billion defense budget. Both the House and the Senate, there was broad bipartisan agreement on December 14th, the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act, called the NDAA, passed the House 310 to 118. I would say that's an overwhelming victory, 310 to 118. And it passed in the Senate 87 to 13. This is a very interesting bill. It's a biggie. It's what the uni party is all about, health and safety. The safety part is the Defense Authorization Act, and the health part of it, of course, is our medical infrastructure, which is now health care for all. It was an increase. They gave the government's killing machine an additional 3%. It's a mere bag of tell. It's only $32 billion. Wow. Nice increase. Just crazy. You know, that really has a big focus on China. This bill sees China as not just a strategic competitor, but an enemy. And uh, they consider 
China, the Pentagon's top, what they call a pacing challenge, and they've boosted spending to confront China, particularly in terms of the uh, military readiness of the Navy. A lot of shipbuilding going on, a lot of submarine building. FISA, you know FISA, right? The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which has been used time and time again to surveil American citizens. It was a fallout, of course, of the 9-11 debacle. Could have been uh, deep-sexed, but of course, our Congress, because they care so much for my safety, they've uh, continued it. They've uh, given it an extension. The bill is uh, a very woke bill, very woke, woke, woke. Paid leave abortion policy, pays for gender transition treatments and surgeries for our service members and their families, and it funds on-base drag shows. That has so much to do with military readiness. Wow, that's great. Uh, It just goes on and on. Major naval treaty was uh, ratified in this. This is the uh, naval treaty between Australia, the United States, and the U.K. Sounds very globalist to me. Sounds very crownish. We're all together now. Let's not hold back. It's uh, the Anglo-American empire at risk fighting the Russians. So we're struggling with this as a people. We're struggling with the fact. We're struggling with the fact that uh, we're living in an empire. And, of course, we don't recognize it. We don't recognize it because the brainwashing is so good, you could actually think you're living in a friendly place. If you uh, are out here in the western suburbs of Minneapolis, far from the degradation of uh, Minneapolis, you could actually believe that life's pretty good. You could. Out here in the west. Now, I tell people, and I'm going to say this again, I live in the last house at the last piece of real estate before the uh, neighborhood turns, shall I say, a little less affluent. I'm not in the affluent section of my congressional district. I'm on the border between affluent and not affluent. I can look across the street and I see not affluent, and, uh, you know, I can't forget it because of that. So we're we're living in this, um, we're going to talk about this today. You know, I'm unfocused today because... uh, It's hard to know where to start when our government, the government that represents me, routinely passes military appropriations that are mind-boggling, staggering. And what do they do with it? They kill people with it. I'm living in a country that advocates killing people as a way to achieve our foreign policy and domestic policy aims. This is getting... Because I'm getting weird as I'm getting, I mean, I know I'm getting weird, but it's just starting to seem bizarre to me. It's just seeming bizarre. It's like, this is the best we can do. You know, we got the horse race and the, the rat race. We got the human race. It's a disgrace. Bob Marley sung this many decades ago, many decades ago. He understood that we'd fallen away from something that makes us human. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. 
Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the world. Weary. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for sending your only begotten Son to die on the cross that I might be saved. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully transgressed. For you pardon and forgive. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds, who is gracious and ever willing to forgive. I'm getting better at this prayer. You know, some people really like it. Um, I met with a, a viewer over the weekend. He actually contacted me and said he wanted to get together. And but because I'm interested in building a community, I met with him. And he said that I was a calming presence, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, i got a lot of people in my life that don't find me so calming. They find me quite inflammatory. But actually, I thought that was great because I, I do want to be a calming presence, and we're going to talk about that also tonight. And the, the, the point of that meeting was creating a community takes peer-to-peer engagement. So I want to ask everyone, because I always forget to do this, please subscribe. Please bring people to the podcast to grow the community. I mean, of course, if I could get a big audience and I could pay the bills around here with it, it would be great. But this is really about politics and about spreading a perspective of, a street corner perspective of human consciousness that we're developing here as a community. We need people. We need lots of people to get involved. Culture is um, malleable. One day we could pass an $883 billion defense appropriation monstrosity, and the next day we could wake up and say, oh, that was crazy. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to recognize that our peace and safety does not come from the barrel of a gun. That is one of the bigger scams, and it's been around for a very long time, very long time. Click the like button, leave comments, push out the content. You know, if you go to my social media on X or on Getter, uh, there's clips there that you can take and push out to your social media networks. And we're going to have to do this. If we're going to build an alternative to empire, we're going to have to work at it. It's not just going to jump up and happen. We're going to have to work at it. And it's a great thing to do. 
I told this young man I met with, you know, people are lacking in purpose. They're lacking in meaning. There's great prayers about this. You know, there's a great prayer that I say. It's Actually, it's in Hebrew. And even man's dominance over beasts is vain. Because you know what? You can still get eaten by a lion. It happens from time to time. It's all kind of meaningless. And that's the flower of existential philosophy, which grew up in the uh, 20th century, that it doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't mean anything that it doesn't mean anything. That's the worldview of these nihilists, of these you know people that really live without a faith. Excuse me. When you dedicate your life, when I've dedicated my life, I've dedicated my life to this movement. I'm healthier. I wouldn't say I'm happier, but I'm healthier. And I'm motivated. And I'm filled with purpose and meaning in what I do. And purpose and meaning are very associated with well-being. You know, there's so many people my age, they retire. And they die the next year because they've lost their modus operandi, their reason to get up in the morning and just die. I don't want to do that. I like living. I have a reason to live. So when we give ourselves over this movement, hey, we got a reason to get down. It's Christmas this week coming up. Please, freepeopleradio.com. There's a store there. You're going to support the broadcast by buying some nice gifts for those that you love. And I want to thank you for doing so. Elliot, can you play number one, please? The Rolling Stones, that was the number 50 song of 1968. We're going to go back to 1968. That In that year on the Billboard's Top 100, the Stones had number 50, Jumpin' Jack Flash. I mean, that was a, a memorable and enduring song. And we're going to play a little Beatles in a moment. And we had these two groups, kind of their own little uni party, the Stones on one hand and the Beatles on the other. The Stones representing a kind of a nihilist kind of energy that uh, has now pervaded our culture, and the Beatles maintaining some kind of hope for political change. So you kind of let people know who you were. If you're a Beatles person, you were working for a more beautiful, loving world. And if you're a Stones person, you were saying, hey, <clears throat> sex, drugs, and rock and roll because it doesn't mean anything. That is, a, you know, it doesn't mean anything. 
just doesn't mean anything. And I just want to say before we leave that uh, Defense Appropriations Act, in the Senate, 13 senators did vote against it. 13 senators, 13 out of 100. So while there is a great deal of nihilism associated with spending a trillion dollars on killing people, crazy, right? There is an opposition that's growing, maybe a fictive opposition because, you know, there's a lot of political theater up there in the Senate. But there are some people that are very well-meaning and they're opposing this kind of wholesale um, spreading or increase in the energy of death. Well, 1968, there we had the Stones. That was the zeitgeist of the time, Jumping Jack Flash. We had a lot of protest in the 60s. Let's take a look at something. This is a long piece. This is worth looking at. This is going to let you know where we came from and where we are. Play number two, please. There's audio difficulties here. You're just watching a scrum. This is on the floor of the 1968 Democrat Convention. It was a wild convention. Look at their fighting with each uh, other. Well, that's not really a fight. One of these fictive fights, kind of a squad. This is John Chancellor on the floor. I'm looking down at Edwin Newman in the middle of a huge bunch of security people. How this this got started, we don't know. Your microphone is broken, Ed. There's a lot of pushing. The man being pushed, watch it, they're going to knock that over. The man is a delegate. Check with our state chairman. He's an elected delegate. What are you trying to strong arm stuff? Stop it, please. This is going to be important in a few minutes when we're going to come back to this. They're fighting about seating or unseating an elected delegate. Please book that. Bookmark that in your mind. We're going to be back here soon. Keep going. You are. Check with the delegate. Where are the rules that say we must show him every minute? Who the hell are you? Are you the one they're trying to throw out? Yes, I am. Why are they trying to throw you out? I object to their behavior. I beg your pardon? I object to their behavior. Secret service. They're shouting secret service push here. Although we are told that these are anti-frain operatives and nobody is wearing the usual insignia of the Secret Service. Are you going to do anything about this? Where is he from, that? New York. How did it get started? Do you know? They keep coming around all day checking our credentials. And it's time they stop. There is nothing okay, the stop it again, please. Did you hear that? They keep coming around all day checking our credentials. Bookmark this. This is very interesting. Please continue. Party that says they have a right to check us every 10 minutes. They have harassed us an entire day. Well, whatever it is, and that's it, the issue is checking credentials too often. There is a, an awful mess in the aisle here between the uh, South Dakota and New York delegations. Now, the men who work either for Andy Frayne or the Secret Service or the police or somebody, all these guards in civilian clothes have linked hands. And the New York delegation people are shouting across, trying to start some sort of... Sh- 
for silence. There's a priest in here, dozens of reporters, and the man who got involved in it all is very calmly smoking a cigarette. Alex Rosenman, he's a New York delegate. This is a perfect indication of the mood of this convention on the floor. Fractious and disputatious, discontented, annoyed, mad at the security forces and the police here. Another peaceful demonstration by New York trying to demonstrate in Alabama. Now that's an Alabama delegate who has quite another view of it. But the issue of law and order seems to be taking place in rather active disputes on the floor of this convention. And that's the situation here. It hasn't changed. It's still bad. The police are now in the aisles here with billy clubs clearing people out. They're not using them on people. They're carrying them. And they're dragging everybody right out of the aisle here. It's a terrific crush. About one, two, three, four, five, six. Six policemen came in here, some of them wearing the blue helmets of the Chicago Police Force, and they are dragging out of here the people who were involved in this. One delegate from New York who objected to having his credentials checked by the police, a lot of people who rallied to his side, and a lot of spectators, including Edwin Newman. How are you, Ed? Well, I'm all right, John. I was in it from the beginning. His name is Alex Rosenberg. He's from the west side of New York City. He said he had come in and shown his credentials, and he would not show him again that he was being deprived of his constitutional rights when they asked him to show his credentials. Finally, as you saw, it came to this. At some point, my microphone was yanked out, and I couldn't uh, broadcast anymore. But somebody pulled on the cord around his neck, and there didn't appear to be any credentials around it. Uh, finally, the Chicago police came in and pulled him out. He was identified as by a member of the New York delegation as a member of that delegation, and they're going out to settle this outside now. We're going to try to move down the aisle to see if we can follow it, but apparently he is outside the hall now. This is the first time in my memory of going to political conventions that the police have come in on the floor, armed as they were, and, uh, and taken out people who were disputing the checking of credentials. Can you ever remember that, Ed? No, I don't, John. I followed... First time in the United States, the John. Back. All the time, Rosenberg was being asked to show his credentials, and he refused. Finally, the security man who was with him asked an usher to get the Secret Service in. Then we saw some more security men come in, and then, as you saw, the police came in in their helmets. When you say Secret Service men, there are men here in civilian clothes who have apparently no identification which they show anybody. Uh, well, I, I take it that's who he meant. Anyway, I heard the security man ask an usher to get some Secret Service men, and... Uh, whether they were Secret Service men who came before the police, I don't know, but there were some very large men who came along with security badges. Uh, Rosenberg claimed that he was within his rights to be on the floor. He was going, or said he wanted to go and ask some questions of other delegates. Uh, all the time, the security man followed him, asking him to show that he was indeed a, a delegate. He was showing credit cards. He was showing all other kinds of cards, but he refused to show any credentials. So he may, in fact, not be a delegate. Well, I don't know that. Uh, I understand that the chairman of the New York delegation, Mr. Burns, was called in in the middle of this crush and said, yes, he is a delegate. 
Well, I think perhaps this is more illustrative of a general tone down here than it is of a specific case. Yes, I, uh, everybody extremely edgy. Rosenberg saying all the time to the uh, security man, take your hands off me, take your hands off me, take your hands off me. And finally, the security man called in the help with the uh, result that we had a bit of chaos on the floor. Well, it's chaos here, or it was chaos here in this aisle, with people still arguing arguing violently about this case and uh, I'm not sure Ed how much more we can add to it at this point. I don't know if we can get in there. No, I, I'm sure that Mr. Rosenberg is no longer on the floor and he was uh, outweighed and outnumbered so I'm sure he's out now. Well just to recapitulate the last five minutes down here have been taken up by what I, I think we could call technically a free-for-all that was finally broken up by the Chicago police who came on the floor of this convention into the hall and dragged out the people who were disputing the issue. They took it out in the streets. Take a look at this now. 1968 Democrat Convention in Chicago. Chicago is where the National uh, Democrat Convention will be again this year. Coming up 2024. Look at that. Doesn't that look nice? There's American citizen. Let's hit him a couple of times just for being impudent. This is uh, a riot. It was later described as a police riot when there was an inquiry into this. This was Mayor Daly's Chicago. Not a very friendly place, as you can see. These were anti-war press protesters who were there to support the candidacy of Senator Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota, who was vying for the endorsement of the Democrat Party, fighting another Minnesotan, Senator, well, actually Vice this President Hubert Humphrey. Vice President Hubert Humphrey, who was the vice president under Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson had withdrawn because of the protest against the Vietnam War. He took himself out of the running. And we had a far-left group, which was a really communist group, fighting the establishment. Represented by, represented by, represented by Vice President Hubert Humphrey, and things got a little bit dicey. And you could see the party, the Uni Party, because it was the Uni Party back then, was using procedural and rules, procedure and rules, to unseat McCarthy delegates to ensure the nomination and the endorsement of Hubert Humphrey, who was a very hawkish and pro-Vietnam War candidate. So we had the anti-war candidates, that was McCarthy, and the pro-Vietnam War candidate, Humphrey, and they were getting down. People were in the street. People were in the aisles. The police started cracking heads. They cracked heads wholesale on this deal. Let's see where it went. Could you play number three, please, Elia? This is uh, after the violence. People were marching, and uh, they had the candles as symbolizing the sadness and, you know, like a memorial to all the people. Now that... look at the confusion in this hall. Oh, this is Senator Abraham Ribicoff. And watch on television the turmoil and violence that is competing with this great convention for the attention of the American people. 
there is something else in my heart tonight and not the speech that I am prepared to give. And with George McGovern as President of the United States, we wouldn't have to have Gestapo's tactics in the streets of Chicago. There's Mayor with Daly. George McGovern, we wouldn't have a National Guard. Mayor Dale Daly enjoying the event, screaming. How hard it is to accept the truth. It is a great honor to nominate. That's good. For Thank the you. Thank you. This was a very famous scene. This uh, Abraham Ribicoff served in the Senate till 1981. So. You know, I remember him quite vividly, and uh, he was Jewish, and when uh, Mayor Daley was screaming at him, he was screaming some not nice anti-Jewish words, because this anti-Semitism thing goes back a long way, and, you know, there was a lot of Jewish politicians in the Democrat Party at that time, and they represented the, represented, they represented the anti-war anti-fascist, anti-military wing of the Democrat Party. They were communists. They were communists. And uh, this Ribikoff was an interesting character. He was had a lot of gravitas. He had a long career. And he was anti-war. And what, what was really going on here? I mean, it's, it's easy to look back. It's easier to look back in hindsight and if you take off the rose-colored glasses, you can really see what was afoot. And we played in the last episode President Eisenhower in his famous speech warning the American citizenry that it must be engaged to regulate, curb, and to moderate the influence, either sought or unsought, of the military-industrial complex. And, you know, these things just kind of went on by. We weren't paying close enough attention. This was fascism. It was fascism in the 50s. It was fascism in the 60s. It's fascism today. And we got fascists and communists and Christians. We had them in the 20s in Germany. We had them in the 60s in the streets here in Chicago in the Democrat National Convention. We've got the same thing going on today as we head into an election year 2024. And what do I mean by saying it's fascist? Fascism is a form of governance that is scientific. Now, it's scientism, not necessarily scientific, and we spent a lot of time working on this idea, but it's a godless ideology it believes in the power of the state to determine all affairs of mankind within that state, and it involves the alliance between very large business and government that funds those businesses. That would be the military-industrial complex. It's a fascistic formation of governance where government is in bed, in league with, in alliance with large private companies or public companies, but companies that work with the government to um, 
bring forth social policy. And in this case, the social policy is empire. It's war. And I, I, I really, in looking at this, I, I thought back because I was there. I mean, I was, I was a teenager during this period. And uh, I remember my parents, my father, college professor, my mother was, actually, she was the Minnesota um, what a chairman of the McCarthy for President campaign. So these people were hanging, you know, McCarthy hung out at the house. I mean, these people were not unfamiliar to me. And I realized looking at this, because I could never understand, because my parents are smart, why they were so in on an ideology, a communist ideology, that has led us to the, you know, really degradation of our society as it exists today. And I realized over the weekend, they were Antifa. They were anti-fascist. They were anti-fascist. The communist movement, that peace movement, that anti-war movement, was in fact a leftist communist movement. It was against, it was an anti-fascist movement. It saw the formation of the U.S. government. Of course, we, the American people, didn't see it because there was lots of freedom. But it was there for all to see if they wanted to look at it. And these people that were in the streets saw it exactly the way I see it today. Fascism, huge industrial military defense contractors funded by we the people, the government taking money from me and giving it to companies that produce weapons of war. These people were in the streets fighting that. They thought it was crazy. And it's very evident to me. I can see it now. I can see it so clearly why that group was out there, why they were in the streets. They were against the military-industrial complex. They were ahead of their times. And they took a beat down, a beat down, a beat down. They were beaten in the streets. You can go online to YouTube, and you can see how bloody and nasty this got. This was a police riot. These young protesters were throttled by the very fascist government that it was protesting. And as we see here at Free People, for all of us in the neocon Republican Party that always say back to blue, back to blue, back to blue, who's going to get the beat down the next time? Because that force, that paramilitary force, that police force is there to do one thing, and that's to defend the status quo. So what happened here? We got this fascist government. It's, an, it's a godless, statist government where the government determines all of the thinking and behavior of the citizens, where a certain group of elites own businesses that are champions of industry, that become champions of the government. The government works with those people, cre creates a, a class of oligarchs. It's fascism. You got communism. Communism is also a stateless, godless form of government. They just don't have that kind of oligarch. It's a different kind of oligarch. They're really the same kind of governance. Godless, state-orientated, totalitarian, with a little small difference in how they organize their economics. And the people that fund these groups, fascists and communists, they really don't care who wins. And we can see that today because now in our current state of affairs, the same fight's going on between a fascist group and a communist group. They're fighting for control of the steering wheel, and you see it in our Congress. We just passed this giant, enormous, fascistic 
$883 billion funding of state champion enterprises. And we got groups of um, anti-fascists in the Congress that are fighting this. But actually, actually, Lenin said something so brilliant. The way to control the opposition is to lead it. So they're funding both sides of this thing. When I say the, I mean the money. Where the money comes from to fund these political activities, they really don't care if we're fascist or communist. It's the uni party. They don't care. And then there's this group of Judeo-Christians or Christians, which are out here, people like Professor Penn, talking about faith and, and living in harmony with the book, to love our neighbor as ourself, that murder is against the Ten Commandments, that the Bible, all of its paths are paths of peace. All of the Bible's paths are paths of peace. So we've got this religious group that's really the only real opposition. This fascist communist fight is fictive. It's, it is just entertainment. The real action is in this religious group. Is it going to be able to generate enough momentum to change the arc of history? And, of course, this group is the group that's backing Trump. Well, he's just back. They're just backing Trump. So let's listen to how the left, the communist group, talks about Trump. Can we play number five, please? Hello and welcome to History Pod. On the 12th of September 1919, Adolf Hitler officially joined the German Workers' Party. At the end of the First World War, Hitler began work as an army intelligence officer and was tasked with infiltrating the fledgling German Workers' Party. Through attending their meetings, he became attracted to the angry rhetoric of the founder, Anton Drexler. During a party meeting in the first-floor restaurant of the Sternecker Beer Hall in Munich on the 12th of September, Hitler himself put forward a passionate argument denouncing the views of another speaker. In Mein Kampf, Hitler describes Drexler as being impressed by his oratorical skills, which resulted in him being invited to join the party. At the time, no membership cards were issued, but when they were made available in January 1920, Hitler was given membership number 55. He later claimed in Mein Kampf to have been the seventh person to join. Hitler was actually the seventh executive member of the party's central committee, though his membership card identified him as member number 555. Numbering had been started at 500, in order to make the party appear to have more members than it really did. Despite members of the army not being permitted to have membership of a political party, Hitler had been given special permission to join the DAP. Before long, his role in the party began to eclipse his role in the military, and he was discharged from the army on the 31st of March 1920, after which he began working full-time for the renamed National Socialist German Workers' Party. The Sternecker building still exists in Munich as a registered monument on the Bavarian Monuments list. The beer hall, though, has now gone, and the building is instead used for residential and commercial purposes. So, uh, I play this piece of Hitler 
on Hitler because we lose sight of fascists and communists both being leftist, socialist, workers' parties. And they're battling it out. And Hitler is always put up as a man of the right. Well, he was to the right of the left, to the far left, the communists. He was one notch over to the right. But everything was the same, godless, state-orientated, authoritarian, totalitarian. And uh, the only difference was that in the fascist business model, they had private ownership of industry. And in the communist business model, it was state ownership of industry. It's a very small difference. But because Hitler was to the right of the communists while he was still a leftist, he's always erected as some kind of conservative figure by media because we're dumb and we don't do our homework. That's why we're doing the Professor Penn podcast. So please help me push the content out. We got to get people in here because we don't know the history and that makes us very easy to manipulate. So now that I've established and tried to share with you, and because I'm working through it myself, that we got two left-wing groups, they're the same, but a little bit different, and we got this Christian group that is being branded as the greatest threat to America, greater than Osama bin Laden, you know, we got a problem here now. Let's take a look at how the far left, the communist left, is going to talk about the Christian Trump movement. Would you please play number six? What would a second Donald Trump term look like? Well, he cannot be the next president, um, it, it, because if he is... You can't imagine the things that he's going to do. Mexico, Canada, we can't go to Canada because eventually Canada will become annexed to America. And shoot visitors to the White House. Yeah, that means he can shoot the First Lady. We're going to see violence, the likes of which we didn't even see on January 6th make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. He will make himself into the Fuhrer, and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. Using martial law against the American people. Germinate the Constitution. To rewrite the Constitution. Create mass internment camps. Throw everyone into Gitmo. Might be sent to jail, or their rights might be suppressed especially minority groups in society. You might have any number of things happen to you and your family. Every one of us, our freedom, our liberty, none of us is safe. It's going to have people around him executing against an enemy's list. Assassinate generals. Ordering troops uh, to um, attack American citizens. Trump's very well-armed and extremist base will try to kill people. He's going to basically burn the house down. He will unravel the institutions of our democracy. Draw similarities between Mussolini and Hitler. Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini. Makes Donald Trump even more dangerous. He wants to take away your vote. Senate and the House are immediately going to be paralyzed. People will begin in their minds to censor themselves. They might say, well, maybe I shouldn't say this. This is the end of democracy. Yeah. I think that could be the end of our democracy. But democracy is dead if Trump is reelected. Cozy up to Putin that democracy will be at risk. The absolute destruction of the Justice Department as we know it. The Justice Department could be entirely transformed. I am really concerned about that. Every person who was associated with the attempted coup elevated in the administration. If he's reelected, he will curb transgender rights. The end of the rule of law. Arrest political opponents. To persecute, not prosecute, 
persecute, but persecute his enemies. Take a wrecking ball to the rule of law. He's going to make the law. Everyone else will have to follow. A vote for Donald Trump uh, may mean the last election that you ever get to vote in. To go after the independent and free parts of American civic life. He would tear down our institutions. Purge the government of employees. Department by department effort to weaponize the powers of the government. To use the military to quash protests. Ridding the government of all democratic safeguards. Junking American democracy as we have always known it. That he would try to stay in office beyond a second term. That he would never leave office. There's no question. Trump is reelected. He won't leave. Donald Trump will never leave office voluntarily. And what that means is that everybody who wants us to remain a republic has to put every other thing aside and work together urgently right now to stop that from happening. Oh, there's a nice cross-section of fascists and communists united against the Christians. Oh, now we're getting down to it, right? And why is this? Again, what do the fashion, and I'm going to get, you know, I've been trying to be mellow because it's, you know, lead up to Christmas. This is really interesting now. We got fascists and communists. They're the same with just a tiny little difference about how the state interacts with industry. Both totalitarian, both state-orientated, both godless. Totalitarian, fascists, or communists. You pick them, who cares? And then we got the Christians. And why are they so reviled? And why is Trump being so, you know, because Trump is getting it because the Christians that support him. Why? Because when we believe in God, we're self-governing. We don't need the state to tell us what to do. We know what to do. We don't need a government to tell us how to live our lives when our relationship with God informs us how to live our lives. And I say this, most people, I say, I'm very burdened with great luck. I actually have a relationship with God. I have one. I know it's real. So people go, oh, Professor Penn must be crazy. I know those fascists and those communists, and what do they have in common? Science. What do they think? They think I'm nuts. I need to be medicated, probably, to help me out of my schizophrenia. They're weaponizing the power of the state, be it communist or fascist, against faith. And this has been going on for a very long time, and we're reaching the penultimate high point of this battle. And we have no idea how this is going to come out. It's kind of thrilling. Actually, when you think about it, the Christians are outnumbered. I mean, the Pope sold out the Catholics in 1933 when this fighting between communists and fascists were, was in the street in Germany, culminating with the fascists getting control. And now we have the same battle in the streets here today. We had it in 1968. You saw that convention that was communists battling fascists. And what's been progressively lost, of course, is the faith people. They're getting lost. I'm going to talk about that a little bit, too. But I can't go on without a little entertainment. 1968, the number 78 song on the top 100 Billboard hits, Revolution, 
by the Beatles, number four. That's good. Thank you. Do you know that song? Mr. Elliot? Oh, see, Mr. Elliot does not know revolution. A wall of sound coming at us. A slap in the face in 1968. Now, I must say, I was more of a Beatles guy than a Stones guy. I didn't like the Stones because they were very nihilistic. Didn't like it. A lot of people did like it. I liked the Beatles because they were about social change and Really what John Lennon was singing about was um, an atheist kind of moral imperative, a secular humanism. He believed in a a secular humanism where the goodness of man could be transmitted man to man without a relationship with God. That's what he believed. It didn't work. It was a great experiment. It was the great experiment of my lifetime. But we're seeing the result when you're left with fascists and communists and no faith You have a complete destruction of everything that's come before us, and I mean everything. We're leaving a human-centered world because there's no faith. We're digitizing. This is not cool, and it's going to be a destruction of the human race, a destruction of the human race. And, you know, this, this... This horrifying, godless ideology is the uni party. It is the uni party. The right of the uni party, the party, the RNC, Republican National Committee, committed to fascism. We go to those conventions. I told you this. I went to State Central Committee. You know, there was a military guy for every 10 non-military. Sprinkled through there like a, Well, I mean, they have control of the party. And again, I want to say I respect military people. Spent a lot of time doing military things. Like it. But, you know, if you go brain dead doing it and you lose yourself in empire, you're not really where we need to be for the maintenance of human freedom because empire and self-governance 
do not work together as we see this increasingly draconian, totalitarian curtain come down on what I thought was my freedom as an American citizen. And I see it in the Republican Party up close and personal. You know, this, Professor, I was thinking about this. What are we doing here? It's kind of a reality show. What's going on in Minnesota is going on in every state in the union. This battle, it's everywhere. So whatever insight I get into Minnesota politics, it equally applies in Florida, New York, Kentucky, wherever you're watching. It's the same idea. You could be watching in Hungary or Guam. Wherever you're watching this battle of ideology, of thinking, of thought, is playing itself out. And we're, we really are getting clear about this now. It's not really fascists and communists. That's a scam. It's not really Republicans and Democrats. That's a scam. It's really faith versus faithlessness. That is the real dynamic. And how are we going to handle that? That's what we, the people, have to figure out. But they've been working on this for a long time. Remember in that uh, Hitler piece, you can go back and look at it, they talked about the states, the Central Committee of the State. Well, that's what they call the Republican Party governance, the State Central Committee, the Central Committee. That's what they call the Communist leadership, the Central Committee. So the Republican Party, the Nazi Party, and the Communist Party all agree that the leadership body is called the Central Committee. Okay, am I going a little bit too far creating meaning? Probably, but it sounds great because we're talking about centralized control instead of self-governance. Oh, now we're getting down the, the path here where we want to get to. We must be loyal to the party. We must be loyal to the uni party. We must be loyal to the state because we're citizens after all. Let's take a look at a loyalty oath. Can you play number seven starting at 202? To show their gratitude, they volunteered to swear an oath of allegiance to Hitler personally. The man who now on President Hindenburg's death was not just Germany's chancellor, but also her head of state. Somebody was reading and we had to lift our arm and, and at the very end say, uh, that's my oath. And how seriously did you and your colleagues take this oath? Very serious. I mean, a soldier... Uh, this accompanied my whole life till the very end. I mean, uh, oath is oath. There's no no doubt that I I can't break the oath, or otherwise I might commit suicide if I plan something else. But this 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 is very serious. The oath for a soldier. The loyalty oath. That's the Hitler loyalty oath. The oath to the state, to the state party the Nazi party, the fascists. Well, at the State Central Committee, they wore everybody down. They had the votes. They came in. 
and this is what the uni party does, right? I mean, whatever state you're in, they they control the rules as long as we believe that we're, you know, subject to those rules, and they change the rules. And what are they doing? They, why are they changing the rules? To stay in power. Their job is not to create a forum for American citizenry, the American citizen to get involved in politics and argue for a better future or a different future. The job of both parties, uni party, there's only one, you know, one, is to maintain the status quo. And here's what they voted in late in the day when almost everybody had left. This was the whole point of the day. Only those persons who are in agreement with the principles of the party as stated in the Minnesota Republican Party's Constitution and bylaws and who either voted or affiliated with the party at the last state general election or intend to vote or affiliate with the party at the next state general election may vote at and participate in the Republican Precinct Caucus. Caucus being that moment when American citizens can come into a room with their neighbors and be involved in the governance of the country. But they're eliminating that now. What they're saying in the Republican Party is, if you're a Democrat and you're thinking about coming over, uh uh-uh. If you're not in agreement with the Constitution of the Republican Party, you cannot caucus with the Republicans. They're closing the door to new participants in the Republican Party because, of course, they're trying to maintain control of the party. And it's a little bit nastier than that, really, because the cover story is about Democrats and about illegal aliens. But what it's really about, what it's really aimed at, is the American nationalist. Now I'm looking at, and I, I, I guess, you know, Ellie, if you can put this up, the official caucus registration form uh, while I'm speaking of the uh, Republican Party. It actually, this is brand new, this form. In fact, I watched a mega fight over this in, in a small group of people. I mean, it was intense. And... Uh, This official caucus registration form is brand new. It's brand new. Caucus used to be, the registration form used to be a a general form with 13 lines where 13 American citizens put in their name and their address and their telephone number and their email. And it was very inclusive and welcoming. And nobody sat there and checked anybody's affiliation. Now, this new form has on it the official caucus registration form, you can go down about two-thirds of the way down, and it says, please sign here to signify you are in general agreement with the principles of the Minnesota GOP. Now, there's going to be people that say that's not a loyalty oath, and that's okay. You can think about it any way you want to. I'm going to tell you the way I think about it. I think that there's going to be a lot of potential Trump voters who do not like the Republican Party, and they're going to show up to caucus for President Trump. They want to get involved to support his candidacy. And they're going to look at this, and they're going to say, well, I'm not in agreement with the principles of the men GOP. I'm not going to sign this loyalty oath. And maybe their neighbors will elect them as delegates to their Senate district convention, and then at their Senate district convention, maybe their neighbors 
will invite in, elect them to be delegates at their congressional district convention, which means they're automatically delegates to the state convention, and they're going to show up at the state convention, and you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to look at them when they go to sign up to sign in. They're going to say, you didn't sign your loyalty oath. You think you're a delegate, but you don't have credentials. Just like happened in the 1968 Democrat National Convention. In other words, the Minnesota Republican Party of 2024 is taking a page right out of the Democrat Convention of 1968. And why would that be? Because they're the same people with the same party. It's the uni party, and they're excluding people who are in opposition to empire. Now, in 68, they were communists. Now the communists are all down with empire because, of course, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it, and they've been led right into the halls of power, and they're all in on the maintenance of empire. And how do they do it? Under the guise of, we got to protect the environment. We got to have social equity, and we got to have democracy. Got to have those three things. That's the communist mantra. The mantra. And you know, the mantra of the right's getting a little tired. The mantra of the right is low taxes and low regulation. The fascists, you know, so that's why the communist group, the, fa the, the anti fascist group, is slowly gaining control of the the politics of our country, but nobody really cares in the empire because they're all in on empire. It's just these pesky Christians that believe in God, these Trump people. And of course, Trump, what does he do? He can't help himself. He just sticks his thumb right in their eye. He, just, he can't help himself. He just says, yeah, I'm going to be a dictator because he knows they're full of it and he just wants to throw gasoline on the fire because he thinks they're dumb. You know, Trump Trump is not making any concessions to these people. He he has been driven crazy personally by them, so he just figures he's going to just drive them nuts. And he's doing a very successful job of it. Of course, he's given, you know, fuel to the fire that he's a dictator. No, he's not a dictator. No, he's not going to be a dictator. The people that are supporting him want very limited government, government because they're self-governing they believe in God, and the party wants to keep these folks, the real believers, out of party party participation. And I and I watch this. I watch it right in my own political unit. Now, this if you are living in Nevada or California, you know this is going on if you're participating in the party. I went to my what's called my BPOU, my Basic Political Operating Unit meeting, this past week. And I'm not going to mention names because these, you know, unlike the leaders of the party that are public figures, the people that are on my BPOU, they're civilians. So I want to protect them. I want, I, you know, I have no interest in defaming anyone. I, I want to protect everyone because we're just citizens at that level. These are not public figures. They need respect. They're, they're volunteers. And we have one person on this committee that was there, this person's been volunteering for a very long time, and she's she's getting older, and she has been participating in caucus after caucus after caucus for many years. And actually, there's a way that the Republican Party has done this, which has been very inclusive. As I said, a sign-in sheet, 13 names, 
Everybody comes in. Nobody gets challenged. And why not? Hey, if you're a Democrat, I want you to come caucus because we want to convince you to be a Republican. It's just that simple. I don't want to exclude you if you're a Trump voter. I want you to come in. We want to change the politics of the party. That's why there's all these fights. And, of course, the totalitarians, you know, they're circling the wagons because, you know, they're getting busted. Uh, here's a metaphor. Trump confronted the Chinese, who are always very friendly and not conflict-orientated, and he said a lot of things about the Chinese the Chinese didn't like, and they became very conflict-orientated. He ripped their face off. We could see who they really were. They couldn't hide. And that's what's happening in the Republican Party. The Christian movement, the faithful movement, the Trump movement, is ripping the face off the GOP. It's turning into a bunch of jackboots who are going to do everything they can to maintain control in the uni party, to play their role, to make sure the military-industrial complex and empire is not threatened. And they're doing a fantastic job when you have a vote that allocates $883 billion and it passes overwhelmingly almost no opposition in the Senate, 87 to 13. And it was uh, three to one in the House. So there's a long way to go politically if we're going to deconstruct this empire. And when the people that are watching me who hate me here deconstruct the empire, let me explain to you what that means. That means I want your children to live. I want to take those resources and put it into the well-being of your family. I want to restore the economic health and the citizenship of those that live in the inner cities. I want to get the pollution and the toxic chemicals out of our supply chain. I want to have limited ambition. I want to be at peace. That's what I want for you, you neocon bastards. I want you to be at peace. You want to send my children off to die. That's the difference. The Trump movement, and Trump proved it. We had four years of peace, and he had peace treaties in the Middle East. And, you know, the, my young producer, Elliot, he's thinking Trump's an asshole. You know, really, what did he do? He acts an ass. And, you know, there's a lot of people in Professor Penn's life that will tell you that I act an ass just plenty. But I always try to do the right thing because I'm self-governing. I know what the right thing is to do. So Trump acts an ass, but his policies enhance the well-being of the people. That's what we want to do here. We want to have a movement that makes our children well. And they don't have to go. You know, if I asked Elia, hey, Elia, you want to get a gun and go die in the Middle East to defend the empire? He's shaking his head no. He's not ready to use that microphone. But, you know, that's not something he wants to do. He just doesn't realize yet that the people in the Democrat Party that he probably supports are all too willing to send him off to die to defend the empire because they're in on this thing. So I was at my BPOU meeting, and this beautiful, uh, she's really a beautiful woman. Now, she does not like me at all because she's a unipartyist to the max. She's been around forever. I mean, when Reagan was president, she was old. But I watched another participant when she said it's personal, how can they change this form? And I looked at her and I said, hey, you know, we don't agree. But I think you want to have a, an open door for American citizens to come caucus with the Republicans. She didn't answer me. I was pushing her too hard. And then she got mad and she said, this is personal. 
How can we change this? Nobody consulted me. This is wrong. And I watched another person in that room start beating, and this is a young guy, start beating on this woman intellectually, verbally, but really being quite abusive of her. And I said, hey, this is not politics. Stop right now. And I feel this way. I don't agree with this woman on a lot of the political issues of the day, but I do believe that younger people will respect older people as a cultural rule. If you have to bully the elderly, you are a fake. That's not real bullying. I mean, bullying a 90-pound old person? What is that? And you notice I'm not mentioning this person's name because he's a civilian. But I confronted him. And we argued about this loyalty oath. And he said, well, how else are we going to keep out the uh, Democrats and the illegal aliens? There's, the only rule now is, uh, you know, we have to have a, a caucus, all the other language. We have to do it ourselves. I said, but, you know, what about all these Trump voters that might come in that won't sign it, and then they will be disenfranchised like the 1968 Democrat convention when they were, the police were coming in and yanking delegates off the floor because their credentials were being questioned. It's in the playbook, right? Well, that's not why we're doing it. I said, you know what? I think it is. I don't believe you. Well, here's what we're going to do, he says. We'll have a big meeting at 630, and we'll explain to the people to sign it, and it's not a big deal. And then we'll have the caucus. I said, but you know what? Who's going to do that? He said, you can do it. I said, great. I'd love to do it, but no one's going to be there at 630. We need to do it at 7 o'clock when everybody's there. And he said, well, we can't do that. Caucus must start exactly at 7 or we risk invalidating all the delegates. And I said, you know what? I like that idea. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Let's invalidate the whole process because it's invalid. In other words, we're using rules and lawfare to stifle political discourse. The whole thing is that you're going to have to bleep this out. It's a off. It's a giant off of the American people. We think we're involved in self-governance, and actually all we're doing is being led around so that we go back to sleep. We think we're doing something. We're not doing anything. And then I had this very same argument with another group of people, another uni party hack that's hanging around. These people lie. They act like they're interested in Professor Penn and the America First Movement. Actually, they're just Democrats hanging around to subvert the movement. We got another one. This one happens to be a Ph.D. Oh, that's almost a signatory right off the bat. Look out. And I, and I said to one of the administrators of this group, just yank this person. Just give him the hook. Oh, no, he didn't want to do that because he's a good man. He said, no, we're not going to do that. But I know this is just a, a fraud, a front, a, a, an instigator, a, 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 a corrosive person in the group. And we got into this same argument. They said the exact same thing. We got to keep the Democrats out. We got to keep the illegal aliens out, which they don't care at all about that. They're trying to keep the Trump voter out. That is the game all across this country the RNC is playing. They're trying to keep Trump off the ticket because Trump represents borders, a more limited and humble ambition 
prosperity, human freedom and well-being. Oh, they don't like that. And both these two people that I confronted said the same thing to me. Professor Penn, you never do anything. You're not doing a thing. You've never been effective. Oh, really? I think I'm pretty effective. Do we have a relationship? Are we in the live chat talking? Am I meeting with people that are in this community? Are we building a community? Are we talking and grappling with the issues? I'm out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week practically working on this stuff. But because I'm not licking envelopes and knocking on doors for the uni party, I'm not getting anything done. Well, let me tell you two, you're out. You guys are intellectually weak. One of you beats on old people verbally. The other one of you, when you speak, you lie. Now, you know, that's the end. The game's up. We're not going to play this game anymore. We're becoming a little bit more intentional in our activities. And what does that mean? What does that mean, intentional? I've had to give a lot of thought to this because I am a white Christo-nationalist. The Jewish man, Professor Penn, I'm a white Christo-nationalist. I'm a great, my FBI director, Christopher Ray, and his group of technocrats have let it be known through their media allies that Christians are a greater danger to this republic than Osama bin Laden. Doesn't that feel good? So in other words, a bunch of people that believe in God and believe in thou shalt not kill and believe in human well-being and life and children and education, I, who believe those things, I am more dangerous to my country than people that seek to overthrow its governance and destroy it. Oh, that would be called Saul Olinsky. So you go back to that piece and watch where all those pundits were talking about all these horrible things would happen if Trump became president again. That's Olinsky. Accuse your opposition of exactly what you're doing yourself. Go read Rules for Radicals. You know, I say all the time, you got to discover it for yourself. I can tell you, but we've got to do our own homework. There is a very prominent radical, Saul Alinsky, another Jew. That's why Mayor Daley was screaming these very anti-Semitic epitaphs at that convention, which he was famous for, because he saw that, because he was in the centrist wing of the Uni Party, the fascist wing of the Democrat Party, he was trying to beat these communists down that were coming with the anti-war message, and those communists had not yet been co-opted. They were actually an organic movement of anti-fascism. So they were beating them down. Mayor Daley, gosh, I, I went to college not that long thereafter. They had another guy like that, a Democrat named Frank Rizzo in Philadelphia. He had long hair. Those cops ran around on horseback. They'd hit you in the head with a billy club just for not cutting your hair. We did look like girls. I understand where they were coming from after all. But what are we going to do here? The pundits are saying that if the Trump movement wins, it's the end of democracy. It's the end of the republic. It's the end of human freedom. Go read, Elia. Go read Rules for Radicals, Saul Alinsky. And you'll understand where this rhetoric comes from. It comes from blaming your opposition for exactly what you're doing yourself. These people have read the rule book. 
They all studied it at Columbia University, where my daughter is. You see, this is why I don't want you to be there, honey, because no matter how much you tell me you're a Christian and you're maintaining and building your faith there, you're constantly having your brain worked on by expert brainwashers. Let's talk about who these people are. Just for a minute, Elliot, can you play number eight? Number eight, please. So what do you want to talk to me about? The government's about to deport you for certain activities. I'm in this country since I'm two months old. Does that make me Italian? I'm American. And they're trying to send me back? I could have the deportation order reviewed. Have you classified as highly sensitive for national security? I could take the government off your back if you can help us. Usually the guys that scare me. You're the people that make big wars. No, we make sure the wars are small ones, Mr. Palmer. Let me ask you something. We Italians, we got our families and we got the church. The Irish, they have the homeland. The Jews, their tradition. Even the niggas, they got their music. What about you people, Mr. Carlson? What do you have? The United States of America. The rest of you are just visiting. Rather chilling, isn't it? There you have the know-nothings and the Whigs, the neocons. That really typifies the security state. That scene from a movie called The Good Shepherd that was Matt Damon played a completely unhinged security state operative saying the quiet part out loud. We're just passing on through. Professor Penn, the kike, I'm just passing on through. And that's exactly how they think about me. It just, you know, they say it in code. He's ambitious. He's self-interested. You know, a person risking his life, giving everything for the movement, I'm doing it for myself. You know, you people suck. You just suck. You suck and your time's up. We got... Three groups vying here for control in this country, and two of those groups is really one group called the Uni Party. Let's get away from this Democrat and Republican thing. Let's give up this anti-fascist and fascist thing. Those people are all in on it together. Vladimir Lenin, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. The fascists that ran this country saw this group of communists coming, and they just took it over. And how did they do it? The educational system. The educational system. They brainwashed generation after generation of young students, and they just made sure that the status quo would continue. And how they brainwash these kids? Like Elliot, my young producer, he's going to start thinking about this today. Up till now, he hasn't given me a lot of thought. This is going to mess his mind up for the week. How did they do it? When they saw the communist company threatening the true communists, the anti-war, anti-empire communists, led by the Jews, because, you know, even when they became non-religious, they were influenced by Jewish culture, and that culture says, and this is for the Stu Peters of the world, the dummies that are into some kind of Darwinist genetic understanding of culture, you people are dumb. What they had, even when they gave up their faith in God, was the cultural imperatives of education and peace. Because if you are a follower of Judaism as a religion, not Zionism, Judaism, 
and you are a devotee of the Torah and you study it, it makes you peaceful. As the young man I met with this weekend, he said, you're such a calming presence, Professor Penn. I never thought of myself that way. I want to thank this young man. And I'm not mentioning his name either because he's a civilian. But these public figures, we can be a little bit more direct about criticizing these people. Like Representative Tom, I've never told the truth, Emmer. These people have put themselves out where they are subject to criticism by name because they really think it's their country and they really want to stay in control. That's why they're making a loyalty oath on the Republican side of the Uni Party. But what they do to these young people like my producer, Elia, since I was in school, they have been building a narrative around three ideas, talking about the left, that were co-opted by the security state through the educational process. Three ideas, three ideas, three brainwashed ideas. Number one, climate change, global climate change. Because if we don't give up our freedom, we're all going to die. You know, that's a good way to get people motivated. If you don't do what we tell you to do, if you don't believe us, we're all going to die. They sound just like those Christian people that stood there and say, repent because the end is near. They're actually the same people. Climate change. We're talking about the communist anti-fascist movement, how it's been co-opted by the fascists who paid for the generation after generation of students to get brainwashed with climate change. If we don't give up our freedom, we're all going to die. And social equity. If we don't all have the same thing, we'll never redress the wrongs of the white fascist power structure, which is a great way to blame all white people for what a handful of colonialist masters got away with. You know, all that money still sitting in a vault in Great Britain. Who knows how much money the king is sitting on there? Charles, with his, he's wearing a $2 billion crown these days because, hey, he looks baller in it, right? I think he looks, I can't even say how he thinks he looks. Even I can't go that far anymore. Ten years ago, I'd have gone all the way with that. But you see, I think before I talk. Climate change, social equity, we all have to be the same, right? It used to be equal opportunity. Now it's equality. That's a scam. You know how you know it's a scam? Go to men's locker room sometime. You'll find all about equality right there. And then the final thing. You know, I can't even get to it. It's so hard to say. Democracy. They say democracy is like it's the highest form of government, but it's a code word. Why I have a hard time saying it, it's a code word for the most difficult issue of all a woman's right to choose, her democratic right to rule over her own life. So the left has taken these three issues and really enculturated, acculturated our entire youth into these ideas, and it's not even their ideas. It came from the universities. And the universities, where did the funding come to develop these ideas? Oh, not from the left. It came from the fascists. So they have these three ideas, climate change, social equity, and democracy. It's a scam. I mean, this is, we're talking about the long con now, right? This is a con job. In other words, if my young producer doesn't take his time to read reams and reams of information that will help 
deprogram him from the climate change myth, he's going to think I'm an ass. All he's got to do is read the scientific literature, which is suppressed. I'm not saying there's not a climate change issue. I'm saying the science is not settled about what it means. It's scientism, not science, because both the communists and the fascists stand on scientism. They're godless ideologies. And I would think to myself over and over again, self, what do we do in the nationalist movement to overcome this? What is the the antagonist to climate change? How can I argue to kids there's no climate change? It'll never work. I got a beautiful daughter. She's a graduate of the University of Chicago. She says I can talk about climate change more. And I do think we're being poisoned. I know we're being poisoned. I want the poisons in my food removed first. Let's start there. Let's talk about that a lot. She's got to talk about climate change. And how are we going to get around the issue of social equity? When everybody's poor, equity's in fashion, right? As a very good friend of mine said, summed this up so eloquently, it's very difficult to make people rich, but making everybody poor, that's called Bidenomics. And then democracy. Who's going to mess with a woman's right to choose? And I thought, how am I going to pose these? And it came to me, it came to me so clearly. What is this movement really about? How do we distill this down to three simple issues? So there's three issues on the communist fascist side, the status side, the uniparty side, which is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. There's one set of issues. Climate change, social equity, democracy. Why are we fighting these wars all over the world? To preserve democracy. Goes right along with the woman's right to choose, right? Killing. Killing. Go back and listen to that again, and when you can make that link, maybe we're making some intellectual progress. And I was trying to come up with a juxtaposition of ideas. That was a mistake. I just need three ideas, and here's the three ideas we're running on. We need borders. We need physical borders to control who is in and not in this country, just like my skin and my immune system controls what's in and not in my body, self and not self. We need borders. We need economic borders. We need physical borders. And we need borders within ourselves about what is the right and the wrong thing to do. We need borders. We're borderless in terms of immigration. Right now we're borderless in terms of economics, and we're borderless in terms of sin. We are suckers. We're giving up everything because, well, hey, you know what? It's all about democracy. We need borders. We need to balance borders, number one. Number two, we need to balance the budget. We are living in a debt society. We're debt slaves in the old British business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. The slavery part, that's debt. Ellie, Ellie do you know you're $330,000 in debt in addition to your college loans? He knows. How do you feel about that? You like that? You're going to have to pay off, young man. Let's make it deeper. Let's make it a million bucks because then we can just take everybody's money away so everybody has the same thing. That's the idea. We need borders. We need equity. We need to bring an end to the debt society. That's the second issue. And the third issue, we've got to bring an end to the endless war. So the left is going to stick on climate change, 
It's going to stick on social equity and democracy. That's the left. If you believe in that, vote for the uni party. Could be Nikki Haley. Could be Joe Biden. Same person. If you believe in borders, like we're going to have a country with citizenship and sovereignty, if you believe in borders, if you believe in equity, having something in your life, and you believe in ending endless war, you vote for Trump. Not because of Trump, but because of the ideas that Trump is leading. This is Trump's last hurrah to my friend Rob. Trump is done after this one, but the ideas that he is promoting will live on. So we have a very clear choice. Climate change, social equity, and democracy. And democracy means fighting endless wars and a woman's right to choose. That's what it means when they say it. Or we've got American citizenship moderated by physical borders and economic borders. We've got equity instead of debt, having something personally that I can work for. And then we've got the end to empire, the end to the endless war. There's your choice. Now, for all you people that are hearing me in the Republican Party, get your mind wrapped around this. This is who we are. You're Democrats if you're a neocon. Get over and you go caucus with the Democrats. You go take their loyalty test. Because if you believe in endless wars, democracy, you're a Democrat. We Republicans believe in human freedom and paths of peace. We're going to reclaim this party, the party of Lincoln, the party of the true anti-fascist. Because what could be more fascist than slavery, than drugs? than the piracy of inflation. What could be more fascist than that? And gosh, the both parties are all in on it. What does the Democrat want to do? Endless spending on government programs that don't improve the lives of the people. There is no difference. The academic community has been co-opted by the crown, by the globalists, so that there's no difference between communism and fascism. They're the same. Like capitalism and communism. They're the same. The only difference is who has faith and has a relationship and knows God. And that's the last of the Mohicans, baby. If you have that, you are the last of the Mohicans. But I had a beautiful godmother. I can mention her name because she's my godmother. And on Christmas week, I want to say I love Georgine more because she was willing to give her life that I would be made whole. And she said that to me, that she would exchange her life for mine, that I might be healed. And that's a statement. And she used to say to me, baby, one with God is a majority. And it sounds rather totalitarian, doesn't it? But what she's saying is, if we pray, why we pray on the Professor Penn podcast is we open the door to miracles. We do not preclude the possibility of God operating in our lives. We want to make it easy for God to operate in our lives, and we do that through prayer and through study and through charity. There's many different kinds of charity. Like visiting the sick is a kind of charity. So it's prayer, study. We pray together here in this community. We study together, and we're giving all. 
a charitable act, one for another, to preserve freedom and liberty in the United States of America. So we have a clear platform, very ultra clear, for you neocons who are trying to get your mind wrapped around where the Republican Party is going to be so that you can get your asses over in the Democrat Party where you belong. We are about borders, borders, equity, having something, and ending the endless war, deconstructing the empire. I will be back on Thursday with the Christmas edition of the Professor Penn Podcast. I want to wish you well. I want you to have a great week. We need to rest a little bit this week because, interestingly, it's mellowing out a little bit still. You must not be at the final battle because, you know, there's still some time to relax here. And I'm going to go out, and I want, I'm want i going to play two times, Elia. We're going to play this piece. It is a, a, a Japanese young woman. This is about cultural diffusion. She's Korean? A Korean young woman. Thank you. He's starting to speak up. Thank you for keeping me. She's Korean. This is about cultural diffusion. This is about the art form of black Americans diffusing throughout the world such that we're all going to become one people. Because I will assure you, as a musician, to play jazz like this, you must be open to the father of all creativity. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you soon again. time please play one more time it's just too good for once listen to the coordination between her fast notes and that drum this is in the groove 